swing and a drive. Deep to left center field. Going, going. Goodbye, baseball. This is Extra Innings. Fastball swing and a miss. Strike three. That's going to retire the side. Seattle sports goes inside the Mariners with more stories, insights, and analysis than you'll find anywhere. Drilled up the middle. Oh, what a catch by J.P. Crawford. Step in the batter's box in the top of the tent right now. Welcome back into Extra Innings as we start off our second hour. We're joined on the Emerald Queen Casino Sportsbook Hotline by Steve Berman of The Athletic. You can follow him on Twitter at BA Sports Guy. And Steve, uh, really appreciate you joining me. How's it going tonight? Oh, going well. You know, uh, it's been hot lately, and today we're getting uh, some cold weather and maybe a little rain. So uh, kind of reminds me of being in Seattle. Yeah, we've had that exact same scenario play out here. It was pretty nice over the weekend, but uh, today, 60 and and gray uh, is the forecast here. Uh, But Steve, uh, something that's not so uh, sunny right now is the Oakland A's and just kind of how their season has gone. And and I feel more encapsulated by the -the off-the-field drama than, than what's going on on the field. And to be fair, I mean, what's going on on the field isn't much to write home about this season, but uh, when no. when you cover this team, I mean, just what is it like on a day-to-day basis with just so much going on with them? Yeah, it's uh, right now the the whole situation, as you kind of alluded to, is, is really all about whether or not they're going to stay in Oakland or move to Las Vegas and the quote-unquote binding agreement that they reached to purchase a plot of land uh, where a casino used to be, I guess the Wild Wild West Casino is what it was. And that, you know, A's fans were already upset because, as you know, as you know, team in the American League West, you, you watched it. Uh, the A's are actually a pretty good team there for a while. Uh, they, uh, they, uh, the Seattle Mariners actually were probably the team that kind of buried them in, uh, in 2021 when they still had uh, designs on speed for the playoffs. And I think the Mariners won 12 straight against the A's that year yeah. as the A's sort of shrunk from contending to uh, – also ran, but they're actually still a pretty good team. But the writing was kind of on the wall when Billy Bean and David Forrest talked to us right after the season ended saying that, hey, we're going to, you know, it might be a time to step back and, and reset or whatever it was that they said. And that meant that after the lockout ended, they just traded away all their good players. So the, the team itself has been uh, gutted and fans have been rightfully so uh, upset and some apathetic. Uh, and, uh, you know, they get blamed for not attending games, but uh, the product on the field has not really been up to standard over the last couple of years. And then you also had ticket prices get raised by extraordinary levels after the 2021 season. So you're saying, okay, well, we, we now have a, uh, a bad team, uh, <laughs> but you guys are going to have to pay a lot more for uh, the ability to come into our stadium, which we tell you is a bad stadium to watch it. And we're also going to be flirting with Las Vegas the entire time which ended up with uh, the announcement from uh, a little over a week ago. So, yeah, things are, things are not going so hot. And I think the A's themselves are a pretty downtrodden group right now. I mean, they might be the worst baseball team in modern history, so why wouldn't you be downtrodden? Yeah, I've been looking at their their schedule, their results of this season. Only one win has come by more than one run so far this season, and we're on May 1st. Uh, and you mentioned just kind of all the, the classic relocation plays, uh, you know, raising ticket prices, gutting the talent on the roster. We're no strangers to that here in Seattle 15 years ago, having lost the Supersonics. Uh, you know, it's, right. it is just – it is one of the great tragedies of, of being a sports fan is – 
unfortunately, these teams, you know, they, they will wear your name, they will wear your city's name on their chest, dot, 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 unless certain things are, are met. And unfortunately, it doesn't look like that's going to continue much longer in Oakland. Is, is it kind of a foregone conclusion right now that, that the A's will get to Vegas one day, even after, you know, making this binding agreement? Well, with any other ownership, uh, I would say yes, just based on what we've, what we've been told and also Oakland saying that they no longer want to negotiate with the A's at all. So that sort of seems like a door is closed there. But you're also talking about John Fisher and Dave Cavill. And Dave Cavill is the president. John Fisher is the owner. Uh, he's uh, uh, inherited a large portion of the gap and uh, is a pretty wealthy man by all reports, but uh, very cheap with his sports teams, which also include the uh, San Jose Earthquakes and the MLS, which they have a new stadium themselves. So the the reason why I say that it might not happen because of these guys is because it's they've announced so many things before that they that were supposedly going to happen. They they wanted to uh, to do something in San Jose, but the Giants have territorial rights there, and that didn't happen. They wanted to build in Fremont, which is in the East Bay, and uh, that fizzled as well. They decided that they were going to build in Oakland at a place called Laney College until the, the heads of the college said, uh, yeah, this is our land and we're not giving it to you, so what are you even talking about? So then that, stuck, that, that, that forced them to do the Howard Terminal plan, which was probably the most uh, complicated, expensive, and difficult of every plan that they've had. And they spent a lot of time doing I mean, I, I sat through a lot of city council meetings with Oakland where they discussed this and financing and environmental impact reports and all these other things. And it seemed like they were going to do all they could, but then they started talking about how they were on a parallel path with Las Vegas for the, you know, the past couple of years, which upset fans. And people wondered, okay, are they just using Vegas as a way to negotiate with, uh, kind of get some leverage with Oakland? Are they doing research so that MLB can have a jump start if they decide to expand to Las Vegas? And then you had this announcement the other day. I, I don't know. The, the thing with this announcement is John Fisher, what he wants is public money, and he wants what they say is about $500 million for uh, infrastructure stuff around the ballpark that they would build in Las Vegas. I'm sure that that's a low estimate. It would actually be a lot more public money that they would need. And I'm not sure if Vegas has the stomach to do that again after they gave almost a billion dollars to the Raiders to have them come move to Legion Stadium. So. Uh, the, the politicians haven't said anything like, oh, yeah, we're totally going to do this. We want the A's, and we're going to give them the money to do it. And I can see a situation where they're not able to close this deal either because they haven't been able to close any deal. Yeah, and I, I was reading, too, that you know the, the relationship between the Raiders and A's is pretty strained considering you know they shared a ballpark for so many years in Oakland, and now Mark Davis, uh, being the Raiders owner, just doesn't want to share a market again with a team that just kind of refused – uh, to to be cooperative with the Raiders when they were in Oakland, so it just it just kind of feels like a very toxic situation. Uh, all wh- wherever it is that you look in this whole saga between the A's and Oakland and Vegas, we've got Steve Berman of the Athletic joining us here on the Emerald Queen Casino Sportsbook Hotline. And Steve, uh, getting to the on field product of this A's team because uh, that's uh, yeah. I don't know if <laughs> I don't know if we're going to be feeling much better, uh, you know, over the course of the remainder of this conversation. But uh, one guy I want to get to, he has been one of the biggest surprises in baseball. He's been the only draw right now for the Oakland A's, and that's Brent Rooker, who has been 
basically Barry Bonds in the season's first month of uh, of 2023. Like this guy has an OPS of about 1,200. He's up near double digit home runs this season. Uh, it's kind of come out of nowhere because just looking at his baseball reference page, he's kind of your classic quad A player, a guy who's maybe too good for the minors but has never really put it together at major league level. How has he been able to get off to such a hot start this year? Uh, he, he got me because I don't think anyone was expecting this, including the A's. He's a guy that, as you mentioned, uh, his minor league numbers look pretty good. I think he's only played in about uh, 400 or so minor league games, and he has well over 100 minor league home runs. So he's a guy who clearly had power all the way through, and even his projections for this season, if you look at fan graphs, you know, he was projected to hit like 16 home runs for the A's because he was going to get playing time. But, you know, he's also hitting for average and getting on base. So I think, I think it's pretty surprising to everyone. I'm not really sure if it's something that's going to last. I would assume it isn't, but I believe he was named American League Player of the Week this week. So that's pretty amazing for the Hayes right now because, I mean, obviously they're 5-23. and 23. They are just, you know, they're the worst team in baseball. It's not even close. I actually expect them to be a little bit better this year than they were last year, and the pitching is so horrendous that – I, I, it's, it's, it's actually baffling. I mean, we're talking like a nine ERA from their starters. So Brent Rooker has been the guy to sort of make everyone feel a little bit better. I, I think you've seen also, you know, Ruiz and Langoliers, young guys who are, are, are playing at least decently and look like they'll be major league players. But yeah, Rooker is the bright spot for a team that doesn't really have any other than that. Yeah, yeah, boy, his numbers have been just insane to start this season. Uh, you mentioned Shea Langoliers. Uh, there have been some other guys on this team acquired specifically from the Atlanta Braves over the last couple seasons. You had the Sean Murphy trade over this last offseason. You had Matt Olson last year. Uh, I mean, outside of Rooker, is there anybody on this team that you think has trade value come uh, you know come August, come late July this year? Um. Probably Ramon Laureano would be the one guy that would come up, and that's somebody the A's wouldn't mind trading because he's making more than the big league minimum, which is essentially how they make their decisions these days on who to trade and who to keep. Uh, he's a guy who uh, I think if he hits decently between now and the trade deadline, he could have some value because he's at least serviceable in center field, and center fielders who, could, who have a little bit of power are pretty rare. He's not the center fielder that he was a few years ago. His uh, routes aren't that great. His speed is not quite what it was, but he's still got a cannon for an arm and a guy who can either play one of the corners or an outfield spot. So he he could be a good fourth outfielder for a contending team or a starting outfielder for a team that's a little bit desperate. Otherwise, I'm not seeing anything else that the A's could or would be able to trade other than, you know, maybe Rooker, but uh, boy, that would, I don't know, that, that, that that would entail probably him being just as good as he's been lately for quite a long time, and I'm not sure if that's something that we should bank on. He is Steve Berman. You can read him in The Athletic. Uh, follow him on Twitter, at BA Sports Guy. Steve, really appreciate you stopping by. Uh, I, I would say enjoy this series, but there hasn't been much to enjoy with the A's this year. But uh, have a good time uh, regardless of all that's going on. Well, I, I enjoy watching the Mariners at least, and uh, I think that you guys actually have one of my favorite ballparks in the entire majors. So I was able to go there for a series back in 2021 while I was covering the team full-time, and that was a a great time. So you guys have actually a lot to enjoy over there. Well, we appreciate that, Steve, and uh, hopefully this whole situation with the A's can sort itself out soon. Uh, Steve Berman from The Athletic joining us on Extra Innings. Steve, thank you so much. Thank you for having me.
Just who is Bryce Miller and what can he bring to this Mariners rotation in the absence of a few key arms? Joe Doyle, a Future Star Series and also the Overslot Podcast. He joined Bump and Stacy earlier today. We dive into his conversation with them next, coming up on Extra Innings here on Seattle Sports and the Mariners Radio Network. You're listening to Extra Innings inside the Mariners on the home of the Mariners, Seattle Sports. Miller in with a sign from Cal Raleigh. Lock ticking down the windup and the 2-2 swing and a miss. Strike three. It's Miller time here in Peoria. Bryce Miller, two scoreless innings of relief with a couple of strikeouts. This young man is something. A cool thing the Mariners have had going for themselves over the last couple of years is we kind of all remember big league debuts of certain players. Jared Kelnick getting the call up in May of 2021. Logan Gilbert, the same exact night as Jared Kelnick getting that call up. You remember Julio Rodriguez on opening day of last year. Uh, George Kirby on Mother's Day last year shutting out the Tampa Bay Rays over six innings pitch. It feels like every couple of years, or over the last couple of years, we've had a lot of memorable debuts being made by Mariners' top prospects. And tomorrow, expect to see another one get made. Bryce Miller, top pitching prospect in the Mariners' farm system. He is expected to get the start tomorrow for the Mariners. Obviously, no official roster move has been made yet, but they tend to announce that stuff day of game in a series. And, well, what what does this mean for the Mariners' rotation going forward? Is there concern with Logan Gilbert? Not by the likes of it, according to Shannon Dreyer's notebook on seattlesports.com. It looks like the Mariners are going to just push everybody back an extra day. Give Logan Gilbert an extra day off. Give George Kirby an extra day off. Give Luis Castillo an extra day off. Pushes every one of those guys back a day. It looks like Castillo is going to start the Friday opener of the homestand against Houston uh, rather than going with the spot that was supposed to be slotted for Easton McGee, who has been placed on the 15-day IL. So it looks like it'll go Miller, Gilbert, Kirby in this series against the Oakland A's. And so what can we expect from Bryce Miller in his Major League debut? Well, he's got a nice landing spot. Oakland, not exactly the toughest atmosphere these days. Joe Doyle of Future Star Series and the Overslot podcast. He joined Bump and Stacy today to talk about his report. He was the first to initially report Bryce Miller's call-up and just kind of what he expects from Miller at the big league level. Are we going to see a new Mariners prospect making his debut this week? Well, let's ask Joe Doyle, host of the Overslot podcast and senior analyst for Future Star Series. He joins us now on the Emerald Queen Casino Sportsbook Hotline. Joe, you broke the news two hours ago that the Seattle Mariners are calling up right-handed pitcher Bryce Miller. Uh, What are you hearing um, uh, about this move? Is he uh, starting tomorrow against Oakland then? Yeah, yeah. Thanks for having me, guys. It it sounds like Bryce is going to toe the rubber tomorrow night in Oakland and uh, I think the organization and you know folks close to Bryce are are, are very excited about the opportunity he's got big league stuff he's ready to rock Joe we were just talking about this um, off air what a great place to start in Oakland against the A's not a lot of pressure this team is struggling it's going to be about 200 fans there (laughs) Um, he, he should be nice and comfy what should we expect from him yeah, I mean, I, I think the way that the off days for this team set up kind of allowed them to push everyone back and, and allowed, uh, you know, one of these rookies from, from Arkansas to toe the rubber, like I, like I said, in Oakland. Uh, no, I mean, with, with, with Bryce, you're going to get an, an overpowering fastball. He's 95 to 96. He's been up to 99. 
I would imagine in the first inning you're probably going to see something on the upper scale of that, you know, 97, 98 with, with how he's going to be amped up. Um, but it's an overpowering fastball. It's a, it's a really nasty slider if he can command it and get to it. And, you know, I, I don't think this is going to be a kid that we're going to see throw 100 to 105 pitches. I think they're probably going to have him on a bit of a shorter leash. Maybe you see 80 to 85 pitches. But uh, if, if Bryce Miller is commanding the fastball at the top of the zone and he can get to the slider with authority, um, he's just as good as any prospect in, in the game. Uh, how do he look in spring? Yeah, I mean, I think that's kind of the that's kind of the polarizing piece of this, right? So Bryce, uh, he struggled a little bit in the spring. I think he's he's bringing a six point eight ERA, something like that, uh, to to the big leagues right now. But you know, in folks that I talked to, it was a lot of soft contact. He was kind of getting the short end of the stick in terms of uh, you know balls that weren't hit very hard were landing, and you know you got soft choppers on the infield. Um, he didn't walk anybody in the eighteen or nineteen innings that he threw at Double A. I think he had three walks and in four starts. So it's just, it's, it's one of those things where the kid has big league stuff. He kind of had a little bit of poor luck uh, in his first month of minor league ball. But when you look at the overall picture, you look at what this kid is going to bring to the bump and how we can overpower hitters, especially a team like Oakland. Uh, you just kind of think, you, you know, you throw them into the fire and see what happens. If the Mariners didn't have the injuries that they had in the rotation, when do you think we would have seen Miller get called up anytime this year or do you think it would have been postponed a bit more well you know I think the luxury that Seattle had entering this season with five truly established starters as well as Chris Flexen um, and, and this was always going to be a waiting game uh, a, a war of attrition you know who is going to get hurt who's going to have to be replaced you know last year was the first year since I believe 2001 where they won 116 games where five starters made every single start. So there was always going to be injuries this season, and I think it was more of a matter of when and not if. And, you know, when Robbie Ray goes down and uh, you see some some struggles with a guy like Chris Flexen, it was time to call in one of the reinforcements. And, you know, really, guys, I, I don't know if there was a, a wrong answer. You know, Emerson Hancock has looked very, very good. Brian Wu's looked very good. But, you know, Bryce Miller probably has the most overpowering stuff of anyone in that Arkansas rotation. And, um, he looked very, very strong in August and September of last year. So um, it was never a matter of if we were going to see him this year. It was just a matter of is he going to come up in a bullpen role or when someone gets hurt, is Bryce going to be the first person to get the call? Hey, speaking of Hancock, uh, how far away do you think he is? I mean, I find myself looking at all these young arms, especially once Flexen obviously started struggling, uh, to see you know how close any of them were. How close do you think you know some of the other guys are? Yeah, I think in a perfect world, Seattle would not like to see uh, Emerson yeah. Hancock in the next month or two. I think they'd like to see everyone stay healthy. But you might see a little bit of mixing and matching here. You'll, we'll see what uh, what Bryce Miller is able to accomplish uh, in the month of May. I'm sure that he's going to get more than just one start. But um, if his stuff just isn't quite up to par, if he's getting hit around a little bit, I do think there is the, the chance that he moves to the bullpen and uh, you call up a guy like Emerson Hancock or you just swap him. You know, Miller goes back down, Hancock comes back up, and you kind of just see who's able to take the reins and, uh, you know, take that fifth starter job and, and really run with it. So when do I think he's ready? I think he's probably going to be ready in June. He's going to be stretched out in June. And, um, you know, if, if we see another injury or, or we see some poor performances, you can certainly see him in the next five or six weeks. What's the process like when a guy is called up? I mean, does he just... 
hit the ground running. They put him in a hotel. I mean, because it, it happens so quickly and so frequently when it comes to uh, to baseball. Just walk people through the process of, of how this all goes down. Uh, you know, I think it's different for every team. I, I think, you know, I, I can't speak for Bryce specifically here, but I would imagine he probably had a pretty good feel for this, uh, you know, a couple of days in advance, just because, you know, Seattle knew they, they were going to have an off day here. They knew that there was going to be a, an opportunity for Bryce to travel and kind of get situated in Oakland. But this isn't, you know, coming from firsthand knowledge, but in a lot of cases, it's just someone gets hurt and we need someone ASAP. I mean, you look at uh, Taylor Trammell flying back up to Seattle uh, this past week. I know he had already made his debut, but, you know, he was in a different city within the next 24 hours. So I think for a guy like Bryce, it was probably a little bit less chaotic than, than most of these guys. He probably knew for two or three days and, uh, you know, made those the, made those appropriate plans. And, um, you know, now he's going to be in Oakland and uh, he's going to be starting for, for Seattle. Hey, uh, Joe, I'm glad we have you on here because I know that you know a ton about just uh, the farm system in general. So uh, kind of stepping away from uh, Miller for a second to just talk about some of the bats. Now, this team, in order to acquire Castillo and a number of other players, traded away some of their position players in the minors, and we're all fine with that. Or they debuted them, right? Like Kelnick is up, Julio's up, Cal mm-hmm. came up. Um now that they're struggling a bit with offense, I found myself looking to the farm system, and it feels like there's kind of a gap. Is that what you see as well? Yeah, without a question, especially when you talk about the bats. I mean, Harry Ford will not see the big leagues this year. Cole Young won't. Felnine Sellison certainly won't. And then as you go down even further, you know, like the Spencer Packards and Tyler Lockleers, kind of those, those thumpers that are going to be in the middle of the lineup way down the line. Uh, they're probably uh, not going to see the big leagues this year either. So I think Seattle is kind of in an interesting place where they don't have reinforcements uh, on the horizon offensively, but they do have such a deep farm system and they do have uh, three first round picks and uh, a second round pick this year that are just going to really, you know, pump up the farm system even more. And so I, I think if Seattle wanted to be in a position to, you know, trade a, a prospect that's a little bit further down the line, uh, to acquire a you know a CJ Crone or a one year rental type of a, a bat here in, in June or July, they certainly have the ammo to do it. All right, he is Joe Doyle again, host of the Overslot podcast and senior analyst for Future Star Series. He had the report about two hours ago that Bryce Miller is going to be called up for the Mariners to make a start tomorrow against Oakland. Joe, thanks so much for taking the time, man. We appreciate it. Thanks, Joe. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. Well, from one top Mariners pitching prospect to maybe the next guy in line. Brian Wu. Who is Brian Wu? He joined Trident Talk yesterday prior to the Mariners-Blue Jays series finale and talked about his journey in the minor leagues and his hope for his professional career going forward as he knocks on the door of Major League Baseball. Bryce Miller's debut tomorrow. We got Brian Wu and his conversation with Gary Hill coming up next here on Mariners Extra Innings on Seattle Sports and the Mariners Radio Network. You're listening to Extra Innings Inside the Mariners On the home of the Mariners Seattle Sports Curtis Rogers back with you And one thing this Mariners organization Has never been short on In the tenure of Jerry DePoto And Scott Service Is arms in their minor league system They have always had Really good pitching talent In their minor leagues In last segment We heard from Joe Doyle On Bryce Miller's Impending debut At the major league level Well another guy to pay attention to In the minor league system For these Mariners Is Brian Wu Of AA Arkansas 
And Gary Hill and Shannon Dreher sat down with Brian. You heard this conversation yesterday on Trident Talk. Thought it was a really good look at to uh, one of the best arms in this Mariners organization. And Brian Wu just kind of details his hopeful journey to the big leagues and kind of what makes him one of the best arms in this Mariners farm system. Um, I mean, obviously the amount of people. <laughs> minor league camp is minor league camp is is pretty hectic with how many people they got running around, and um, it's kind of a zoo. But major league camp, it's a little bit more uh, concentrated. Obviously, you got a certain team, so here it's it's a lot more um, team oriented. You know, Skip is is pretty. Um, focused on team chemistry making sure that everybody's kind of getting together and i think it's really cool to see i think as you go through the minor leagues obviously it, it's more focused on individual development um trying to get you know refine your skills throughout the years um but obviously once you get to the major league level it's all about just just winning games so um a little bit of a different focus but at the same time it's still just baseball you're still trying to just find ways to improve yourself improve your game and then also at the same time um pick the brains of the older guys the other younger guys anybody who really is is here is going to be a really good ball player so anything you can you can pick up from them is, is really going to help um but just trying to you know watch everybody kind of see how everyone goes about their business especially the older guys they've obviously been doing it for a long time and then um, the younger guys obviously were, you know, were in my shoes not too long ago. So kind of seeing how they have uh, progressed through the last couple of years as well. So it's all kind of a learning process as you go. Speaking of progression, uh, you had Tommy John. You came back at the end of last year. It finished great. You pitched in the fall league. How are you feeling right now? Feeling good. Feeling good. Um, like I said before, it's kind of it's it's always a process. So it's always just trying to see what I can do right now. Obviously, it's a it's a really long season. Mm-hmm. I think I learned that a little bit last year. I didn't you know pitch the whole year, but um, I know that it's a long season. So it's it's really more about how can I you know do the right things now and, and set myself up for success in such a long year. Um, but. Really just trying to do the little things, making sure that um, staying on top of the weightlifting, the arm care, the the throwing program, all that stuff um, is super important in such a long season. So feeling good right now and just kind of trying to keep it that way as best I can. Let's take you back a little bit. You were draft. You were injured when you were drafted. That's correct. correct? Yeah. I mean, that that's just got to be crushing. You, you build up everything for the draft, and yeah. there had to be questions. What was that process like for you? And when you found out, okay, the Mariners interested, what was the thought process? And yeah, yeah, um, getting hurt was pretty tough. I mean, obviously, you talk about the draft, um, but also not being able to play the rest of my college season as well. I mean, I loved my time at, at Cal Poly, and I loved my teammates, the coaches, everybody. So that was pretty crushing to, to know that I couldn't finish out the season with them. Um, we had a really good team, and we weren't playing our best at the time, but I knew that we needed you know any spark that we could to, to try to win some games. So that was really tough to go down at, at such a, a pivotal time of the season. Um, and then, yeah, looking forward to the draft, that was uh, that was pretty tough as well. I mean, a lot of question marks going into the, the draft process after that. I felt like I was putting myself in a, a pretty good position up until that point. And then leading up to the draft, it was really did not 
know where I was going to go at all. There was a pretty wide range of, oh, you could go, you know, decently early or you could not get drafted at all. Like, we really don't know. It's pretty it's pretty tough. So um, kind of just had to see um, how it all played out, you know, made sure that I, I, was, I was talking to everybody that I could, making sure I was staying in touch with my agent. Um, but it was it was a pretty big uh, question mark up until about a day or two before the draft. <laughs> I was like, okay, you're probably going to get drafted. Don't really know where, but you know, you're probably have some future in, in pro ball. So that was kind of nice. And then yeah, draft day was uh, a little bit interesting, a little different. I was actually in Hawaii uh, on vacation that we had already planned. So I went. That's the way to do it. Yeah. <laughs> so I was I was in Hawaii with my family and, and a couple of friends. And then um, draft day, day two of draft day started, I want to say like 1 o'clock or 2 o'clock Eastern. So it was like 6 a.m. Hawaii time or 5 a.m. Hawaii time when I had to, you know, make sure I was on my phone and <laughs> um, making sure that, you know, the agent, if he, he was going to call me, make sure I was up. So he called me at like 5 o'clock in the morning, local Hawaii time, like, okay, the Mariners might be interested in taking you. So it's pretty surprising, but obviously it, it's played out pretty well so far. So I think Mariner fans at this point are aware of you, but I don't think many have seen you pitch for <laughs> – those that have not seen you, how would you describe yourself as a pitcher? Honestly, I feel like as a pitcher, I'm pretty. It's pretty similar to who I am as a person. Um, pretty just calm, laid back. I don't look like I'm trying super hard. I guess when I'm throwing, like it, it's pretty based on momentum and just rhythm and, and being smooth. Um, Fastball's kind of always been my bread and butter. Changeups really coming along well, and then the sliders coming along well uh, as well. It's kind of um, a third pitch of development-wise, kind of just learning different ways of how I can use it and how to spin the baseball right now. But um, yeah, I, w- I would say it's it's pretty similar to who I am as a person. Honestly, I think you see a lot of people that are like max effort throwers and you can kind of tell that when they're on tv and i'm pretty much the complete opposite (laughs) but um yeah i think i think it's pretty it's pretty similar honestly we see that and it's hilarious i'm like thinking to myself this he's not overwhelmed by anything (laughs) (laughs) which is awesome because when you're in a camp with 76 other people i mean obviously it could tell us a little bit about that fastball we hear the command is very good we've seen it we saw you on the live bp the other day but it does have a little bit extra yeah yeah, I mean, I think it's uh, – I'm learning different ways and how to use it, and I think that's just a, a test to the the player development staff that they have here and, and the coaches. The fastball velocity has kind of been a gradual um, increase as I've gotten older through high school, through college, so it's honestly been really nice to kind of grow into that um, and not have it all happen uh, at once. But I like to use it, I mean, all the times, as you talk about the velocity, is, is starting to get there. Hopefully it continues to kind of increase as I learn my body better and continue to get stronger. But command's a big part of my game. I think that's first and foremost, making sure that I know where it's going. I can put in spots that I want. I think, obviously, as you go up levels, 
everybody can hit a fastball if, if they know it's coming too. Um, so making sure that I can use it in the right spots, right locations, right counts, and then use my off-speed stuff based off of that. So it's all kind of predicated on the fastball to start. What have you learned about yourself as a pitcher since you've been in the Mariners system? Geez, I've learned a lot. I think last year going through the rehab process um, has honestly taught me a lot about myself. It's given me a, a different perspective on on baseball and on life um so that was a a pretty tough process to go through honestly i think anybody that goes through a long rehab process can tell you that it's pretty ruling um there's different days obviously there's some days you're going to feel good and there's some days that you're going to feel horrible Mm -hmm. and there's just the way that it goes so it it gives you a different a different uh a different perspective a different appreciation for the game and just being out here and just being able to play pain-free i think that that's a huge huge part that i always kind of now i wouldn't say took for granted but i was always pretty healthy throughout high school and throughout college didn't really ever get injured per se um so it when you're out of the game for 14 15 months it gives you a new perspective on just watching everybody and just being able to enjoy being out with the team being in the clubhouse you know hanging out with the guys just just in general just you know so um i think i've learned a lot more in the past 18 months than i probably have in Mm -hmm. my entire life leading up to that point um but they've been great they've got good people in in all departments here so you know the rehab department that we were with for so long was awesome the pitching department all the pitching coaches um coordinators and whatnot everyone's been so great to me you know since since i've been here so i can't say enough about them where did you get your basis for who you are as a pitcher um i think it, it kind of just came over time. Um, obviously, I'm, I'm still learning about who I am as a person, as a pitcher. Um, but I think call it, high school uh, was a great, you know, building block foundation of um, I played infield a lot. I never really pitched, honestly, until my junior year. We kind of my pitching coach was like, yeah, we're going to need some arms this year. And I was like, yeah, I think I could throw a few innings here and there. <laughs> So, um, yeah, ended up being more than a few innings and then um, kind of turned into, uh, I guess, a career. But um, kind of try to just keep it as simple as possible. I feel like when I try to do too much is when I start getting in trouble. So um, just try to enjoy it, have fun with it, you know, take me back to those days of, of high school ball and college and um, enjoying your time with with your friends and with your buddies and i think that's at the core of it i think that's what it is for everybody and i think if you can continue to stay kind of tapped into that and the better off you'll be yeah most of your college offers were as a two-way player right so what was it about pitching in cal poly that drew you there yeah um i was i really i wanted to play both in college um more infield honestly than pitching um i'd trained and, and worked up my whole life really to, to play shortstop and play in the infield um, and then got a couple offers as a, as a two-way and then Cal Poly I really wanted to go to Cal Poly really from probably my junior year I think when I started doing the whole travel ball circuit and all that stuff but as a baseball program and as well as academically I think it was the best option and then um, I kind of saw how I was progressing as a pitcher as opposed to playing infield and 
I knew eventually I'd probably have to pick one, and I saw you know how the development was going, and I saw the success that Cal Poly had done with with pitchers. So, just ended up seeing like the best fit. So, um, was able to to walk on there, and turned out pretty well. And the beach, I assume. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you can't really go wrong with with Cal Poly's location. I think it's it's kind of a hidden gem. I think everybody kind of knows about everybody knows about Santa Barbara. Everybody knows about LA. Not too many people know about San Luis Obispo. So they've got you know you're ten minutes from the beach. You've got golf everywhere you look. You got mountains. It's it's gorgeous out there, pretty much twenty four seven. So I can't I can't say enough about that place. <laughs> I don't know why anybody would leave. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> What is your goal for this season? Um, well, number one is definitely stay healthy, stay on the field. Obviously, I think being away from the field for so long um, was tough, and you, and you see how how uh, how grueling it can be. Um, so, stay healthy, stay on the field. Um, I mean, obviously, if if I can find a way to contribute to help this team win at some point this season, that would be awesome. Um, I think everybody sees the excitement that's going around this team and, and everything that they're doing up in Seattle. So it's pretty cool to see. Um, so if, if I can somehow, anyway, I mean, I don't care if I'm water boy and just handing people <laughs> cups of whatever, you know, it, anything that I can do to, to help the team wins is going to be the ultimate goal. So um, continuing to, to refine, you know, what I'm working on and making sure that I'm staying on top of that and um, really just enjoy the season as much as I can. But I think if I can, you know, find a way to contribute and help this team win and, and ultimately win a World Series. I think that's what everybody in this clubhouse is, is focused on now. So um, that's that's the goal. That's the focus always. But continuing to get better every day is, as well. So, well, Brian, this has been great to get to know you. Thanks for yeah. taking all the time today. We really appreciate yeah, it. Course. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me. We've got one more segment to get to on Extra Innings. It's the biggest headlines in baseball from over the weekend. A round of pepper coming your way next. Curtis Rogers here on Extra Innings on the Mariners Radio Network in Seattle Sports. You're listening to Extra Innings inside the Mariners on the home of the Mariners, Seattle Sports. I must thank you profusely for joining me here on Extra Innings this evening. Last segment for you before we head on out for the night. Make sure you're downloading the podcast at seattlesports.com, wherever it is you get your podcast. The Seattle Sports app also is the place to be if you want to download every single hour of every single show. But let's take a look at some of the biggest headlines in Major League Baseball or some headlines that had me scratching my head. But this one, it doesn't get much bigger than this. Guess who is back for the Philadelphia Phillies? On the seventh pitch. Harper hits one in the air, left center field, back it goes, Harper, the swing of his life! Remember that guy, Bryce Harper? Well, he underwent Tommy John surgery just 159 days ago, and he's expected to be in Philadelphia's lineup as their DH tomorrow night as they begin a road trip. And at luck, as the, the Mariners just faced the Phillies, how lucky are we that... Even in a series that did not go the Mariners' way, how lucky are we that in none of those three games did Bryce Harper make his return? So, uh, shout out to Bryce Harper for having immaculate timing uh, to make his comeback after undergoing Tommy John surgery. But look, baseball's better with him in it. Baseball's better with him socking dingers and just hitting mammoth home runs like that. Great to see him back in a Phillies uniform starting tomorrow night. Well, yeah, 
I really enjoy Bryce Harper and what he brings to the game of baseball. I know he's not everybody's cup of tea, but I think he has really endeared himself to baseball fans over the last couple of years uh, and has has really kind of grown into uh, his personality. And he's not that kid anymore that's looking to get people mad like he was early on in his career, getting into fights in the dugout with Jonathan Papelbon and, uh, you know, sliding spikes high and stuff like that. Nah, like Bryce Harper is a, a he is an incredibly good player, uh, one of the very best to do it. What is he, a two-time MVP? Uh, I have a, a tremendous amount of, of, of joy when I watch him play the game of baseball. Another big 2023 debut just around the corner is Justin Verlander, scheduled to make his first start in a Mets uniform. That's scheduled for Thursday of this week, the same week Max Scherzer will return from his 10-game suspension for having a foreign substance on his hand during a start. Verlander is an interesting one for me because he came back last year and was absolutely phenomenal. One of the best seasons he has ever had in the big leagues. He had it at, what, age 39. He's 40 years old now, signed a big contract with the New York Mets. Won the American League Cy Young last year. So if you think about it, last two healthy seasons that he has had, completely healthy seasons, that would be 2019 and 2022, he's come home with the Cy Young Award. And then 2018, he was, you know, an all-star, won 16 ball games for Houston. Like, this is a guy that when he is healthy and on, there are few better than him uh, to ever really throw a baseball. 244 career wins. Look, as as somebody that saw him way too often pitch against the Mariners over the last, what, four seasons, five seasons when he was with the Houston Astros, uh, I am incredibly thankful that he is now pitching in the National League because uh, I have had it up to here in seeing Verlander's name going up against the Mariners time and time again. Now, the Mariners did get to him a couple times last year. He did have plenty of success against them last season, but I think back to that game where he allowed, I think it was at six runs in the first inning. And then, look, in the playoff game last year, unfortunately did not go the Mariners' way, but they jumped on Verlander early and often in that one. I'm interested to see how he fares in his New York Mets debut. Uh, Something about Justin Verlander and teams with colors of blue and orange. That man has never had to change his cleats, never had to change his glove throughout the course of his career. He's he's destined for the Hall of Fame, obviously. 244 career wins, multiple no-hitters, multiple Cy Young Awards, a Rookie of the Year, an MVP. Like This guy has one of the sparkliest resumes uh, of any pitcher of this era. Two World Series rings, by the way. Uh, thrown in there. Maybe one comes with a little bit of an asterisk in 2017. But I will be watching Verlander's season debut for sure with the New York Mets. Now, the Mariners take on the A's tomorrow. Expect to see some signage at the Coliseum. I don't know quite what they're calling the Coliseum right now. But uh, expect to see some that is, is not favorable towards A's owner John Fisher. I mean... That's expected. He's in the process of trying to move the team to Las Vegas. We talked to Steve Berman earlier on the show, just kind of all that has gone into that just debacle of a situation between the A's and, and the city of Oakland and, and the city of Las Vegas and how the A's are kind of holding the team hostage right now between the two cities in order to broker a new stadium deal. I don't think the stadium deal in Vegas is that much better than, than anything that they've had in Oakland so far, but get this. So I talked about that signage of, of, you know, sell the team, John, like we need some, we need something. 
here that's you know better than what you've given us over the last couple decades. Well, how much thin skin can one person have? Get this, MLB.com is scrubbing A's highlights that might feature signs in the outfield calling for team owner John Fisher to sell the team. Dude, you're a billionaire. Like, can you not blame A's fans for having as strong of reaction towards a potential sale of a team that they have invested their time, their money into, their you know hard-earned dollars, and this is the thanks that they have been given by A's owner John Fisher, and for him to be like mm, that that bugs me so much that I am going to contact whoever it is at MLB.com that is in charge of putting together highlight reels, uh, video highlight reels on their website and saying, can you, uh, you know, scrub out these, these highlights? I don't want these signs calling for me to sell the team featured so prominently in them. Give me a break. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? You're a billionaire. What do you have to worry about? Miss me with that entirely. God. I I hope the Mariners sweep the A's. I really do. And, and not because I want, you know, A's fans to suffer even more. I mainly want John Fisher to have nothing good come his way over the for for however long he holds this team hostage. I, I think Oakland is a, a very slept on sports market. I think they have some of the most passionate diehard fans of any market in the country. Uh, it's It stinks that they have lost the Raiders and they've lost the Warriors over the last few seasons. And I don't know if the Raiders are going to be so welcoming to the A's if they do choose to join them in Las Vegas. And how embarrassing is it that if, if the A's do choose to go to Las Vegas, they'll probably have to play a couple seasons in their own AAA ballpark, which, by the way, seats about 10,000 people. And if, on average, you get 10,000 people every game, I mean, their attendance is going to be higher in Las Vegas than it is in Oakland. And that's just a, a – that is that speaks more to A's ownership than it does to A's fans. I do not blame A's fans for feeling the way they feel. Uh, we here in Seattle know way too familiarly famili- <laughs> about a team relocation. That final season where the Sonics, uh, you know, were occupying Key Arena – it was. It felt like a lost cause. I went to one game that season, and it felt like a library at Key Arena that year. Now, we all know what Key Arena can be. We've been watching the Kraken and their playoff run and just how exciting it can be. That's That can be the same with the Coliseum, too. I know, you know, watching Moneyball and, and, and seeing, you know, that 20-game win streak and seeing how crazy those crowds were back then, uh, I really hope that some miracle can happen to keep the A's in Oakland because uh, that's just a really unfortunate thing uh, that their ownership group has been trying to get away with. Yesterday, the Mariners pulled off a crazy comeback. Wasn't even the craziest of the day, though. That, that honor goes to the Chicago White Sox down 9-5. to Heading into the ninth inning, they clawed all the way back to tie it at 9-9. And then with two runners on, two outs, Andrew Vaughn, Sends the White Sox crowd home happy. Two and two to Vaughn. Swing and a drive. Deep left field. When it lands, the streak is over. Outrageous way to end it. They went at 12 to 9 in nine innings and. 
A wild stat, courtesy of Jay Kuda on Twitter. You can follow him at J-A-Y-C-U-D-A. He says that it has been so long since the Chicago White Sox have had a two-game win streak. He says since the last White Sox winning streak of two games or more, Bryce Harper will have had Tommy John surgery, done a full recovery and rehab, and returned to the Phillies lineup. It's been a very lean, lean year for White Sox fans. Very lean time for them. They're off to a a horrible start this season, but you know what? A win like that deserves celebrating. That is going to do it for us here tonight on Extra Innings. Mariners take on the Oakland A's tomorrow from the Coliseum. Bryce Miller, congrats to him, congrats to his parents, congrats to his however many siblings he might have. Congrats, uh, big congrats to him because that is a moment that he's never going to forget. Big league debuts are are so special, and uh, I hope that he goes out there and has a tremendous amount of success in his very first big league action. That is going to do it for us here on Extra Innings. Make sure you're downloading the podcast wherever it is you get your podcasts on seattlesports.com or the Seattle Sports app. We will be back with you next week. I'm Curtis Rogers. Appreciate you tuning in. For Brandon Gustafson, Steve Berman of The Athletic, I'm Curtis Rogers. This has been Extra Innings on Seattle Sports and the Mariners Radio Network.